This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody. This is Vicious and Delicious, Joey-licious. What you see, baby, is what you get. What you don't see is better yet. You're listening to Jay Scott on the hook rock. Everybody, it's Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Hope you're doing well. Welcome back to another episode of Rock and Roll Discussions, Rock and Roll Talk. I hope everyone's doing safe out there or being safe, staying healthy, and not losing their minds. I know this is a pretty difficult time for everybody, as I say in the beginning of every episode. Try to find your peace, find your escape. I know a lot of people have given us great feedback because we're providing that for them by doing these shows two three times a week we appreciate all the feedback we love doing it and we love being an escape for you during these times even if it's for a few moments during your day or during your week uh the ability to you know try to escape what's going on in reality is a huge thing right now but we're going to continue with another great episode I'd like to welcome in Mr. Ben Giles from Small Town Titans. What's going on, Ben? How are you? Not much, man. Living the dream. Uh, just doing the best I can. And, uh, yeah, having fun. Drinking wine. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking wine. Now, we're recording this at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, 11 a.m. Central Standard Time, and you're drinking wine already. So it's obviously been a pretty uh, exciting day for you. Oh, absolutely. I, I got to taste it. I got to taste it. <laughs> well, hey, you know, every Friday is a good Friday when you are when you start the day off drinking some wine. Absolutely. We had we had band practice yesterday, and uh, we had a long week. So, like, this is kind of a day off for me. And my wife and I like to have a mimosa every now and then on, like, a Friday morning. Nice. Nice. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, we start the same way every time we or we start with the same question I should say every time we have a first time guest on the podcast and that is the essence of the show just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in every rock fan has a moment whether it's a song an album a band or performance that hooked them on rock and roll what was it for you what what hooked me on rock and roll yeah um, I could tell you the exact moment in time that, uh, my life changed. And that was when I was 14 years old and my parents took me to a concert 
and they took me to see Trans-Siberian Orchestra, believe it or not. And I sat in the audience as a 14-year-old kid and stared at the light show and listened to the guitar solos, and I was just awestruck. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, they get paid to do that? Like, they, they get money for that? Like, that's insane. Like, that looks like I would do that every day of my life if I could. Like, it was just one of those times that, like, you have this, this epiphany. You're like, oh, my God. Like, I, I could do that. And, uh, you know, a couple years later, I started playing guitar, and here I am today. It was always something that, you know, stuck with, stuck with me. And I'll never forget, like, the feeling I had of seeing Trans-Siberian Orchestra. First concert I ever saw blew my mind <laughs> with all those lights and guitar solos. That's a pretty intense experience too for a fourteen year old kid to have the that be their first rock and roll show because I mean they they like they do it I mean like it's it's a production you know when when well, they come to town and they play it it's it definitely is like there was explosions there was there was at least five hundred thousand lasers on stage like <laughs> like you know to my little fourteen year old eyes I like it was just I don't know. It was amazing. And where did it go from there? And you mentioned you know you mentioned playing guitar at sixteen. You know who made you want to pick up a guitar? Who was the player? Um, I had been playing piano a little bit um, when I after I saw Trans Siberian Orchestra. I actually did not pick up the guitar. I picked up the piano like pretty much immediately after that. Just and I started playing piano because like Trans Siberian Orchestra is a very keyboard piano heavy piece. Um, it's like a long in tandem with guitars and I started playing piano because I thought that's what I wanted to do I did that for like two years self-taught kind of thing and I was just like you know what the the piano just doesn't rock hard enough for me like I want that edge I want to be able to squeal notes and like vibrato and and stuff like that and I couldn't I couldn't do that with the piano my brother had a guitar and (laughs) he would uh we would get into an argument and he would probably end up beating me up if I even looked at that thing when it was in his room, you know, uh, I was not allowed to touch it. But every time he went to a friend's house, I snuck in his room and I played his guitar. He still doesn't know that. So if he hears this, this uh, interview, he might be upset with me, <laughs> but that's where I got that. He was the player. Like my brother had the guitar. He was pretty, he was pretty good at it. I liked it. I wanted to do it. So I broke into his room and started to, and I never looked back. Who were some of the early influences, you know, of some guitar players out there that you tried to emulate? Um, I don't know that I really tried to emulate anyone, um, but George Lynch is top of the list with uh, Richie Blackmore. Um, that's uh, Dokken, uh Lynch Mob. George Lynch was in Dokken and Lynch Mob, and Richie Blackmore was Deep Purple. That was my dad's favorite band. He bestowed his favorite band upon me. It is my favorite band. And I just grew up listening to that, that hard rock rhythm and blues. So like, that's where it's at for me. I remember being a kid. I had an older brother. I still have that same older brother. Um, And he played guitar. And I remember him practicing in his room. He was a huge George Lynch fan. And I just remember hearing him try to learn Kiss of Death. And he would play that song over and over again and play that. And 
you know, whether I wanted to or not, I became a huge George Lynch fan just because of the amount of of his playing that I was exposed to, and you know, Dokken and Lynch Mob, and he's one of my favorites too as well. Yeah, man, I can't I can't get enough of that. I actually think that uh, um, this is just my opinion, but like the self titled Lynch Mob album is like one of my favorite records of all time. Like the guitar work and just the songwriting in that album was uh, pretty much, you know, if I was if I was to be stuck on an island and I had one album to take, it would be, it would be between that one and Lincoln Park Hybrid Hybrid Theory. Well, that that, uh, that Lynch Mob album that's the second release that's with Robert Mason. Um, is it? Yeah, because Wicked Sensation the, the, the was the title? debut. Yeah, Wicked Sensation was the debut. That's with Oni Logan singing, and then Robert Mason was on the second album. Yeah, and he he has an amazing voice. Yeah, he's incredible. He was just a recent guest here on the podcast. Amazing voice, amazing guy, totally awesome. And he's just uh, you know he's just a, a a rock and roll lifer. I mean, you know, but he does. Oh my have, God! Hold on. Time time out. What happened to that guy since that record? Like, I didn't really see him popping up anywhere. I thought he, like, fell off the face of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> well, well like, um, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just my, my negligence, my ignorance. But, like, I was always looking for that dude. I'm like, where is he? Like, um, why is he not still singing? Well, you can catch him on a, few, a couple different albums with Lynch Mob. Uh, he was on the second one. And then I think Only Logan came back. And then I think he's on one or two other Lynch Mob albums. You can catch him in Warrant. He's actually in Warrant right now as the lead singer. He actually... Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, he actually um, did an album last year with every other member of Dokken except Don Dokken, and they called it The End Machine. And he's on that, and they just... uh, I think they just tracked eight of their songs for their upcoming album. And then... He oh, I did got, this. I got some research to do. <laughs> he, he did this great album, or a few great albums, called with a band called Big Cock, and those albums are amazing, like totally amazing. Um, so I need, to, I need to hear them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I, I'm very jealous that you got to talk to that guy. Like I, like that's like my favorite record of all time. <laughs> yeah, no, he is. Uh, he's an amazing singer. Totally cool dude. Um, but yeah, he's got a lot of stuff out there. Plus, I do he he does some writing for country artists and other artists too as well, I believe. Um, but he's still active, and like I said, check out the End Machine album that was released last year. Check out the Big Cock stuff. Um, you know, Warrant is still a viable touring act. There, you know, obviously no one's really a viable touring act right now. But um, you know, prior yeah. to you know the COVID, you know, he was they were going to do an anniversary tour with i think it was you know for the dirty rotten uh filthy stinking rich album by warrant and yeah he's pretty active he does a lot of stuff plus i think he's on the second album for a band called cry of love which i don't know if that was before the lynch mob album or after so you got a lot to Um, check out i know cry of love yeah Yeah. i feel like a terrible rock and roll fan right now i did not know all that (laughs) well you know that's what we're here for you then you know we're here for uh, you know, <laughs> well, I to, appreciate you know it. think about it. if you didn't do this interview this morning you would have no idea what's going on with robert mason in his career <laughs> think about that that's pretty deep yeah true <laughs> true I, I mean now, now i feel like as soon as i'm done talking to you i'm gonna like get on the computer and start looking stuff up. 
you know, but prior to this interview, we talked about what we were going to do this weekend and like, you know, a whole lot of nothing. Now you got something to do, you know? <laughs> there we go. There we go. So, I'll make another mimosa and die and go down that wormhole. There you, that, that sounds like a plan. So <laughs> you, you know, you were inspired by Lynch, Richie Blackmore. When did it become for you that you wanted to be in a band and you wanted to be on stage? Um, I guess that kind of came to me, uh, late in college. Um, I met the other two guys that are in my band in college. We all went to Lebanon Valley college. Um, I actually sat next to John in freshman orientation, our drummer. And he asked me if I wanted to jam cause we got to talking. I was wearing a deep purple shirt. He was wearing a Molly crew shirt and he was like, Hey man, you want to jam? And I was like, yeah, sure. We jammed. It went awesome. He asked me if I wanted to be in his band. I said, nope. And the reason I said no was because I was new to college and I was also on the football team. So I had two big things that I wanted to focus my time and energy for. Being in the band was not one. After I was done playing football, something needed to fill that void of adrenaline, that rush, that being in front of people, the crowd, stuff like that. And the band was it. That was really the only thing that could give me that high. And I gravitated towards that. They uh, they approached me again, asked me to be in the band. We jammed again. I became a member of the band. And, um, well, we all kind of formed together there. None of us were in a band before that. We jammed again for a second time, started the band, and I've been here ever since. So the band started while you were in college. And, you know, yeah. you guys started to jam. After football, you needed to replace that adrenaline. I mean, that's pretty... You know, any time that you do something like that and you stop doing it, you know, whether it's playing football or whether it's whatever, working out, doing things, you need to replace that with something. And if you don't, you know, it's, it's you know, you kind of walk around like you're, I don't know what the heck to do with myself. So you, you got to replace that adrenaline. You got to replace that stage that you're on, right? I mean, when you play football, you're on a stage, you know, not, you know, like a rock and roll stage, but you're still, you know, the center of attention for people watching a game or being on a football team, you walk around, everybody knows who's on the football team. And that's something, right? That's something that you, you know, are used to. So when you stop playing it, you've got to find another stage. Yeah, absolutely. I guess, I guess you can kind of equate it to like, like, I guess you can kind of equate it to being an addiction. Like a lot of people that were drug addicts now are addicted that, that like, you know, overcame that and beat it. They're now addicted to something else. Like, for instance, I know a guy who used to do drugs, went to rehab, and now he does yoga. Like, it's his job. Like, he's so addicted to yoga. And that's kind of how it was for me. Like, I, I had this athletic thing that I grew up with. I was an athlete my entire life. And then once once that was over and I wasn't going pro or anything, I was like, I needed something. And it ended up being music. When you guys first started, and you're trying to formulate your sound, and everybody has, you know, different influences. Everybody brings something different to the table. How did you guys fuse all that together? Uh, just naturally, it just kind of happened. Um, the second time John approached me and asked me to jam, it was, "Hey, man, do you want to jam with Phil? Phil's our lead singer." Uh, and at the time I knew that he was really good. He was a really good singer, but he was playing like Americana and folk music. And I was like, there's no way this guy is going to like the way I play. 
Like there's not, there's no way. Like I turned it up to 11 <laughs> and uh, he ended up liking it. He wanted to be in a rock band and it just kind of happened naturally. We all respected each other's input into it, into the song. So it wasn't like very, very few times we, we banged heads about a song or an idea. So I guess it's just, just kind of happened organically. We just click. Is your recording and writing process, is it pretty collaborative or is there one essential writer for the band? It's fully collaborative. What usually happens though is like, I'll come up with a guitar riff and I'll bring it to the band and I'll say, guys, what do you think of this? And I'll riff it out and then John will start playing drums and Phil will just join in and start singing and playing the bass. And that's typically how it starts. There has been times where I've had a full idea or Phil's had a full idea and we kind of like take that idea and put our own spin on it. But it's 90% of the time it's fully collaborative. We just, it starts with a riff and we build on it from there. When you're starting out, right? And you guys have all, you know, known each other. You guys went to school together and you're putting a band together. What are some of those early days like? What were they like? I mean, were you playing the college town? Were you going out to different clubs? What were you doing? Were you playing covers, writing original music? Um, we did a little bit of everything. We didn't know what to do. We were just like, okay, we're, we're in a band now. We should, we should probably book a show, right? That's what bands do. Let's book a show. We booked a show. Our first show ever was at the A1 Bar, which was right up the street from our college. And no one came. There was like six people there that just happened to come into the bar that day. And we played and, um, it was, it's, it was like that for a couple of years. Like we, we slowly, very, very slowly built an audience. And I remember a lot of the times was, you know, we were just having fun playing music. It had no, no bearing on who was coming to the shows or who wasn't. We, we just did our thing. So like for the early years, it was a lot of, you know, drinking beer, writing songs, carrying out, carrying on, playing a show for next to no one, but like treating it like it's Madison square garden. And we just did that for, I would say we did that for three to four years. And then slowly we started to build an audience cause we got into some contests and won and, uh, people just started to tell their friends a little bit slowly, but surely that organic kind of word of mouth growth. And then the Grinch went viral when we covered Jeremy and Mr. Grinch. And ever since then we've been, we've, we've had a great commercial to our band essentially. So started off really slow with the growth. <laughs> the new album is the ride. It's out Friday, November 13th. The new song is Rufflin' Feathers, which is kind of a perspective on social media, which is really interesting because, you know, everybody's at home now these days. Everybody's on social media arguing with each other, and it's become something that probably it was not intended for. Yeah. Um, that that song just kind of organically happened because, uh, John, our drummer, actually had a lot of input on the lyrical content of that of that song, and he he sees it every day. He he lives on social media because he runs our band. He's our, he's essentially our band manager. We're unsigned, like 
um, we have, we have a, a record label, but we pretty much run like our own social media and everything. Uh, so he sees that all the time and it's just constant. Everybody's bashing somebody for this and calling out somebody for this and throwing hate over here. And you know, this is canceled and uh, that whole cancel culture stuff. Like he just saw all the, the negativity on social media and everybody wanting to be heard and trying to yell the loudest in the comment box. And everybody just seemed like they were trying to ruffle some feathers, stir the pot and, we just came up with this tune and I'll be honest with you. I'm not a big, I'm only, I, I didn't have really anything to do with the lyrical content of that song. That was, that was John and Phil coming together. I was just like, let me write a, a cool riff. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of like my majority role in the band. I'm like, let's write a cool riff. You guys worry about what you want to say. Well, it's, it's it's interesting times, you know, because I mean, it's such a it's such a timely topic too, as well, because everybody's familiar with social media, everybody's on it because there's really not much to do these days, and it's become like this this bubble with people, right? Like it's it's like this thing where people get on and they argue with people. No one ever changes anyone's mind on social media, you know. Everybody writes these, you know long things or, or, or long subjects and, and then argues with people. And then at the end of the day, everybody still believes the same thing that they did, you know, prior. And it's just, I think it's like this need for people to be heard because it's an outlet for that, you know, and now, and as a result of that, everyone's become a critic, you know, you get, you know, like these, you know, Yelp reviews or album reviews or whatever reviews. And it's like, everybody's got to say something on a subject matter. You know, there, there used to be a time when if you didn't like something, you just didn't like it. And that was it. Like, you know, the, <laughs> you know, yeah. there wasn't, and then, and it was fine. And everybody was just like, whatever you don't like it. Cool. Now it's like, I don't like it because of this, this and this, and everyone needs to agree with me or you suck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You it's know, really, I mean, like, you know, you know, it's like if you oh, don't, I was just going to say, social media, social media is like a high school cafeteria. Like everybody talks really loud so they can be heard, and then every now and then somebody does something bad and causes a, a ruckus, and the whole entire like cafeteria does this thing where they go, "Oh," and then everybody's chanting "Oh," and they have no idea what even really happened. Like that's social media. You know, it's such an interesting thing, too, because it has the ability to connect people from all over the globe. I mean, for, for a band like yourselves to be able to connect with people in other countries, in other states even, you know, because it used to be a rock scene was very localized, right? You know, whether it was Philadelphia, Chicago, L.A., New York, you know, there were bands that were part of that local rock scene. And some you know, were heard, you know, in, in, on a national level, maybe a song or two, or maybe someone broke because of what they did. But, you know, you think of the bands that, you know, were, were in the Chicago area, or I think of the bands in the Chicago area when I was growing up. I mean, no, no one outside of Chicago really knew them. I mean, there were a couple bands like Enough's Enough and some others that made it and, and, and had some big, you know, success. But now you have the ability to reach other people which is a positive thing which is really really great but at the same time it also isolates people because you know now you're seeing your friends talk a certain way or act a certain way you don't want to hang out with people anymore you don't want to go to class reunions because you already know what everybody's doing 
So it's really funny how it, you know, how it's like it, it does some really good things that I think it was intended for. And then it kind of isolates people from being social because, oh, God, I don't want to go to that class reunion. I already know what Johnny and, and Jenny are doing, and they're both a, sound like a pain in the ass right now. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I know exactly. Yeah. So it, it's just it's it's weird how that has, you know, taken over our lives and become what it's become and it has the ability to frustrate and also provide joy at the same time it's really weird yeah it, it definitely does that for me too it's a double-edged sword like some days somebody will contact me on social media or say something to me on social media that'll make my day and it's that's amazing that's usually a fan telling a story about like how like something we did or sang about really impacted them in a positive way. And those connections can't happen without social media. Like you, back in the day, if somebody put out a song, like you, you, you would have had to, you would have had to have their phone number or something, which they didn't get out. <laughs> so now anybody can contact me personally, pretty much anytime they want. And I can choose to respond or not. <laughs> like sometimes it's great. And then sometimes I joke about this, but, Sometimes social media makes me want to, like, buy a private island and that's accessible only by parachute. And then it makes me want to go buy all the parachute companies and put them out of business. Because <laughs> I'm like, people suck. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> so it, yeah, I mean, there there is a lot of ugliness on social media. And, you know, like like we talked about moments ago, you know, everyone's become a critic. Everybody needs their voice heard. You know, no one can just kind of walk by something, quote unquote, virtually walk by something, I should say, and not comment on it. Like if they don't like something, eh, I don't like it. All right, I'm going to go do whatever I need to do. Everybody feels in the, oh, this sucks or, you know, this and that. It's like it used to be a day where you just like it, like we talked about, you know, you didn't like something. You're like, all right, I'm not going to go back to that restaurant or I'm not going to, you know, go see this band or listen to this band or whatever use that airline because i had a bad experience you didn't feel the need to yell at the at the you know tallest mountain to let everybody know how pissed off you are about something or what you feel yeah Yeah, it's like social validation everybody needs to know that like somebody agrees with them (laughs) yeah yeah i mean you got to find people that you know and then of course you say something and you got to get your validation by the likes and the comments oh you're so right you're so oh i could have said it better myself and you know i wish there were three thumbs up i could give you know it's like oh i've got that validation now people you know like what i have to say you know so it's just it's just a circle I think there's probably going to be like kids getting going to the guidance counselor at school because like their post didn't get that many likes and now they got depression and they're going to get a pill for it. <laughs> you know, I mean, you say that in jest, but it wouldn't surprise me if that's, you know, if that's happened a lot, you know? Yeah. I, it wouldn't surprise me either. You know, one of the things too, about not having local scenes anymore is you know the scene is more global like we talked about you can reach people across the globe in different countries and different places what have you seen when you're promoting the band and you're posting music on your social media have you seen that reach to other countries that you know want to hear small town titans oh absolutely um i would say we we do live stream concerts and i would say at least 20% were outside the United States of people that bought tickets. And it's funny 
the, the reason I know that is because there's this thing that happens in our band whenever we go live or, or make a video, people comment and they say where they're from, like all the time. And so like we get all these different countries of these people and it's just, it's amazing to know like, hey man, we went to, you know, one, two, three Main Street in Carlisle, Pennsylvania and made a video posted it on a social media place. And now like we have a family in Germany that really loves us. Like that's pretty, that's pretty cool. It's pretty insane, <laughs> yeah, but it does happen. And people definitely like to tell you where they're from. It's cool. Like they're, they'll always be like cheers from, from Munich or cheers from uh, Ireland. That's a pretty humbling experience, you know, like when you when you're packaging a CD to send out to somebody and it's international and you're and yeah, you know, you're building your audience and you're building your audience everywhere. But when you have that, when someone appreciates your music so much to buy it and, you know, they're in another country, I mean, that's a pretty cool feeling that didn't happen. You know, that's what's so cool about social media. That's one of the positive things is your, your reach to. A, a bigger audience is so much more prevalent today than it was. And, you know, a lot of bands do take advantage of that. Oh yeah. It's, it's definitely, it's definitely a tool too. Like it's, it's something that, that has allowed us to, to remain a business and not have to get full-time jobs. But the fact that our reach has the ability to go farther than a, a, a show down the street, you know? So we're definitely very thankful for everybody that, found us you know it's awesome you guys are constantly putting out music yeah and, we, we try and you know with this covid that's going on and with with people's creativity and people sitting at home not really doing much how has that affected you guys how has that impacted you know the music that you're writing and putting out oh um I guess it definitely kind of affected it in, in ways that like the song Ruffling Feathers came to be and what it's about. Um, I guess when, when you, when you couldn't go outside, our band had to kind of take a trip inward. <laughs> you know, we learned a little bit more about ourselves because we couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't do anything. We couldn't play shows. You couldn't go to the bar. So you had a lot more time on your hands to, to think. But at the same time, we were restructuring our business. So, when you can't tour, you have to figure out how to make money in, in new ways and how to, how to be a band in a way that nobody's ever had to be a band before. You know, like I don't know that there was a, a pandemic in music history. That's like equivalent to this one where like all of a sudden you can't do what makes you money. And so there was like no model to, to copy. So we had to kind of figure things out and we decided, Hey, like we're just going to write songs about whatever. And since COVID hit, I think some of our angriest songs were written. <laughs> like we wrote Ruffling Feathers. We wrote a song called when it all comes down. Um, th those songs were written during the pandemic. So we kind of wrote those last minute before the record comes out on the 14th. And it definitely affected us in that way. Like we had, we had that, that, Oh, Oh crap moment of not knowing what the future held for us as individuals and us as, us as a business. So 
Yeah. Is it difficult being creative during these times? I mean, you know, I, I, I talk to a lot of artists and I ask this question pretty frequently. Is it tough when you're doing similar things every day to be creative? Because a lot of people need change and they need, you know, different things happening on different days to be inspired. They need life to happen. And, you know, right yeah. now life's on pause. So how was the creative process for you guys during this time? Um, I, I don't want to say that the creative process was paused because it definitely wasn't. I think that, um, to say that life is on pause is kind of like, it's accurate in the sense that like the normal life is on pause, but now like life didn't pause. It's just like, there's a new normal happening. And I think a lot of creative juices came from that. I, I don't, I never viewed it as a hindrance. I kind of viewed it as like an eight. Like if you had nothing to talk about before, like you're definitely feeling something now. Like the whole world is like, there's definitely things to talk about. There's creativity to be had. I think it's just the way that people view it. Like I, I try to be positive about everything that's happening. So the fact that we're not touring is giving me the ability to spend more time with so, like, I try to look at this curse that is, you know, the pandemic and try to receive it as a blessing. And I think if you do that, like, the, the creativity inside you kind of just, it, it still flows. It doesn't get hindered. Like, I didn't I didn't have any trouble being creative since COVID hit. Like, it didn't affect any of that for me. And if it does for other artists, I, I can definitely understand how. But for, for me personally, and I think the other guys, I think it just helps us to maybe, you know, realize some frustration and like actually write some angry tunes that we've all wanted to write for a while. It kind of like, you know, it was the go ahead, do it, be angry in this song. Cause everyone is too. Like, <laughs> I don't know. We, we didn't really have a problem. That was my next question. You know, when you think about what you're writing about, and the tone of the music you're writing, did you see a difference in this material that's on this album versus what came previously? Um, yeah, there's definitely a difference in what's on this album and what's on this album. When I say that, meaning some of these songs that are on, a lot of the songs that are on the album were written before the pandemic. Um, we just kind of recorded them throughout the pandemic, but they were already there, like written. But then there's songs like Rough and Feathers and When It All Comes Down and Let Me Breathe that were written pretty much during the pandemic. And those three, I, I feel like they stand out to me in that sense because, like, it kind of, without those three songs, the Ride album isn't necessarily as much of a ride as it is because there's happy songs on this album. There's slow songs on this album. There's the angriest tune we've ever written on this album <laughs> and that's because of we, we wrote that during the pandemic and yeah like it's just uh without what's what's happened to us we uh it wouldn't it wouldn't be what it is i hope that makes sense i kind of got on a ramble there <laughs> no i mean it does make sense what was the decision behind putting this album out knowing that your ability to tour off of it would be hindered 
versus pushing it back to, you know, when things possibly start opening up. Because I know, I mean, this whole year has been filled with albums that were supposed to come out in the spring, in the summer, and now you're starting to see some stuff trickling out or things are being pushed back to the first quarter of next year. What was your thought, what was the band's thought process behind putting that out right now? Our thought process behind putting it out right now was, holy shit, we can't get in front of our fans for how long? Like, we have to do something. And we decided that the best thing to do at this point in our career, other than going straight to somebody's town and playing for them in person, is to give them a record with some brand new songs on it. Give them something to hold, something they can touch, something they can put in the CD player if they want to, something to download that's new from us to say, hey, like, we're still here. Like, we're still trucking along. We're still doing what we do. We don't want anybody to forget that. And we, we do our best to stay in touch with our fans as much as we can and really interact. Because, like, without them, who are we? <laughs> some of our fans, we've had some really great fans that, like, without them, we wouldn't be where we are today. So they're very important to us. And we decided that the best thing that we could do during this time was put out a brand new record, whether we could tour it or not, and just let people know, like, yo, we're, they ain't stopping us. We're still going. It's also important, too, because people's attention spans are much different now than they were than ever before you know where you know people quickly forget about things you know because there's always the next thing there's always the next thing to stimulate somebody so yeah i mean being in a band and you know the music industry is so competitive it's important that you keep in front of your fans and keep their attention and you know and that's what i meant you know you you guys do release material every month you know a song every month or two and or a few months, and then you put that out, and people listen, and, and it keeps people still thinking about small town titans. And you know, it's very important for a band these days, especially during a pandemic, to you know keep that attention. Oh yeah, absolutely. I one hundred percent agree with that because, like, I've the perfect example is like I really liked uh, a guy by the name of Lucas Grant when he came out. Uh, he had a record that came out and he had a lot of songs on it. I liked it. I liked And then for some reason he stopped marketing himself or he wasn't like finding his way back to me. Like I had to really dig for him. And that's what we don't want to do. We want to always be super accessible with something new all the time. And I think it's very important. Do you guys have a plan when things do go back to whatever normal happens? Um, I wouldn't say we have a plan, but we do have the desire to keep going. Like, uh, you know, if something happens and, and we get a, we get a good tour that makes sense for us, like, yeah, if we're allowed to do it, we're doing it. And if we have the opportunity to sit and write songs and put out another record, like, yeah, we'll do that. Um, it's really hard to say we have a plan because I think a lot of people that are making plans in today's day and age are going to end up being sadly disappointed for one reason or another. But we're just going to be a band, whether it's normal outside or not normal outside. The plan is to stay a band. And that's it. Yeah, it is interesting because there is no playbook for what's happening. And how many tours 
how many performances have been delayed multiple times throughout this year. Now you're seeing tour dates pop up in the first quarter of next year. Some bands are going to Europe. Um, you know, you, you, you see Germany completely locked down now or proposed to lock down for several weeks, you know, and I'm just thinking to myself and I'm seeing these tour dates, like, how is this going to happen? I mean, you know, it just seems like the cases are getting higher and higher and, you know, it's just frustrating because, and I imagine for a band and for an artist as yourself, it's difficult because obviously you want to go out and play the new material for your audience because that's what you're into right now. That's what you're proud of. That's what you, you know, wrote the songs for. And, you know, with the uncertainty of not knowing when you're going to be able to play those songs has to wear on you guys and other bands and club owners and theater owners and people that work at these places and audiences. I mean, I go to so many shows per year and I haven't been to a concert in probably a year since last November. And it's been difficult for me because, man, I want to get out and see some live music. And I can imagine what it is for a band who wants to play it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll be honest with you. We we still get to play live music. It's just on a different platform. Um, Like, for instance, the record comes out on the 13th, and then the 14th, we're doing a, a, a live stream with professional audio, video, and lighting and we anybody across the world can buy a ticket to that and see live music in as as live a form as it you're allowed to now for a rock you know and i think it's 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 hard for us to like imagine a room full of people because when we do these live streams it's literally just us in a room (laughs) and we have to pretend that there's a bunch of people in front of us yelling and screaming and jumping around. Um, but we do have a TV in front of us that allows us to see comments flying by. And that gives us adrenaline and energy that people are enjoying the show and we're making them happy. So, I mean, fans can still play live music. It's just not this thing. It's not the, the tangible, like, I can feel the kick drum in my chest and I can see them. And if they it far enough they might hit me you know like <laughs> it's, it's it's not that but it's still we're doing the best we can. when you think about think the, a lot of other bands are doing this sure sure when you when you think about the long-term impact for you and other bands what do you feel because i i felt that 2020 was going to be a big year for rock music i thought there were a lot of up-and-coming bands a lot of unknown bands that were making really good music that were going to really you know, grab hold of the audience and, you know, find that youth, you know, that connection to the youth of today. And I think it's happening. And I also think because of COVID, and I've said this frequently too as well, this is a recipe for success for rock music. You know, out of something bad, something good happens. I think there's a lot of angst and a lot of anger in today's youth. And I think that's needed for rock and roll to succeed and survive. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I just, my, my thoughts is, you know, hypothetically, if we can't go play a live show, right? We can't, we're not allowed to go be in person and play a live show. I still think that there's, there's just another way that somebody or a group of people are going to figure out to create the experience that's desired. Like music is never going to die. There's nothing that's going to, 
there's nothing now that's stopping anybody from making music that can make an impact. Um, the only thing that's kind of stopped is live music. That's very important, but I don't think live music is what really caught like, I don't know. Cause it, cause it does at the same time. Like it doesn't really cause a revolution or a wave, but like it does like, that's kind of hard to say. I don't know. <laughs> well, no, I, I just think there will always be, there will always be something that people will do to get what they want. And if somebody wants to be angry and listen to rock music, like I can picture somebody inventing something that mounts to your TV that syncopates to or syncs to the music and you can turn the lights off and it creates this, you know, real time light show and you have super nice speakers in your bedroom and you can have a rock concert at your house. Like that, that's doable. It's just interesting just because, you know, like you said, there is no precedent for this before, you know, so we're all trying to figure out ways to, you know, keep music going. And I, and I agree, you know, you know, rock music's never going to die and, and, and it's never going to stop existing. There's always going to be rock music. It's just now we have to think about how will it evolve into these times or how will it coincide and be part of these times, you know, with, with live performances, because rock music, I mean, you know, you said it at the beginning of the show, when you saw Tri- Trans-Siberian Orchestra, you know, that had such an impact on you, because, you know, live music it is did. so important and so vital for rock music, more so than any other genre of music, I believe, because it's, it's part yeah, of the experience. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. So it's just interesting to see how it's going to evolve and how bands are going to learn. They have to evolve now. There's no option. You have to adapt. You know, it's... it's, yeah. it's, it's and a, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's adapt or die. Um, you know, I mean, if you're not going to do the things that are necessary, you're not going to succeed or you're not going to even be able to play because no one's going to know about you or care about you. So you have to keep, you know, doing things that are going to be relative to your audience. I, I agree with you. And I think that what you said about like the adapt or die, like that right there, that concept, that feeling is, a breeding ground for excellence, in my opinion. Like, you know, you never run faster than when there's a, a lion chasing you. <laughs> like, you either run faster or you die. <laughs> and I think that that just brings out the best in people, and there will be something that comes along that figures it out. Whether it's me, whether it's you, whether it's some guy from Iowa, it's like somebody or a group of people will figure something out to where that live experience that I had for Trans-Siberian Siberian Orchestra, it can happen through a different form of media or whatever it is. It's also a great way to connect with your fans right now too, right? I mean, you know, you mentioned that people all over the world can buy a ticket to your live stream and see you guys play. And also they can interact with you guys, you know, which is so different than when I was younger, right? I mean, you weren't able to interact with, the bands that I saw like you are today. And I think that's a positive. And I think that's really something that really captures the audience. Like, Hey, I can chat with this guy online and I can have, you know, with a bunch of other people and we can talk about music. We can talk about the band. And that's a really cool experience for a lot of people. Absolutely. Like, and it's a cool experience for us too. Um, there's like, there's no rules. There's, there's a lot less boundary with like, 
you know, your heroes, you know, like you can end, you can, if you try hard enough, you can get in contact with some of these people. And it's funny because like fans of the band that from like other countries know me personally now through social media and stuff like that. Like they know, like I brew a lot of wine at home. I make my own wine. And, um, a lot of people overseas are like, what do I got to do to get you to send me that? Like, I've been following you. You're awesome. Like, I want to try your wine. I see all your posts. Like those things, like you have that connection that's deeper than, you know, if you didn't have stuff like that. Yeah, no, it, it is. It's a lot different and it's, you know, the accessibility is so different than it was. And I think that's such a positive thing, you know, because as I see with my son, you know, listening to music and connecting with music, you know, when they're able to connect with a member of a band, it means so much to them and they get excited. Similar to when and yeah. album came out back in the day. And I think that's something that if bands, if more bands do that, and I think a lot of them are, and they learn to, you know, work that angle of connecting with the fans and have like a natural, you know, conversation or natural connection with them. I think that's just, it's, it benefits everybody. Absolutely. It does. When you recorded this album, one of the common things that I hear is I, we record a lot of songs. We wrote a lot of songs. We've got enough for like two, three albums. Was that the case for you guys? Uh, not necessarily. Um, we have a lot of ditties, a lot of jigs, a lot of riffs, a lot of ideas, but we don't have much more than what's out right now. And um, that's just because, you know, we, we've been working on finishing this record. We actually announced the, the, the names of the songs on this record before they were even written because we wanted that much to get uh, like a full new album to our fans. So like it, right at this point, we're putting this album out and then we, depending on what happens in the future, we're going right back to the drawing board and we're going to write more songs. I have, I have, uh, being a, a guitar player, I have a hundred riffs that I have that I like and it's just, they they just need to come to fruition and become songs, which doesn't take us long. If we just get into a room, the three of us, that's our songwriting process, usually starts with a riff. We show up to practice. I say, hey, guys, what do, you, what do you think of this? And I go, no, 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 no. And then they join in, and eventually in, in all the noise, the song starts to peek its head out. And then we, we run with whatever idea or whatever whatever hook we thought sounded best in the five minutes we jammed. Ben, it's been a great conversation. I really do appreciate the time. Once again, everybody, oh, Ben Giles from, from Small Town Titans. Thank you, man. I'm glad glad to be here. It was a great talk. Absolutely, man. I really enjoyed it. It, uh, you know, I always like when these conversations happen organically, and you know, we talk about a lot of different things and, and see different viewpoints from different people. Absolutely, man. I think all three of us in the band definitely like to talk when we when we're when we're given the opportunity. <laughs> so I That's, appreciate you giving me an out. <laughs> absolutely, man. Once again, everybody. I'm Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we will talk again soon. Thank you.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 